But if you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be looking at chapter 11 of this evening, and we're going to be looking at verse 1 in chapter 11. And what we've been doing, or what I've been doing in the evening sermons, is going through the book of Proverbs, chapter by chapter. So each time I preach, I would go to the next chapter, and I would pick a verse or a couple of verses in that chapter to focus on. So I now have 31, or another 20 left of sermons, so I don't have to worry about picking what I'm going to be preaching the next time. This book, this uh, uh, verse we're looking at, one verse in chapter 11, verse 1, it's actually repeated several times in the book of Proverbs. We see this in Proverbs 16, 11, and, and Proverbs 20, uh, 20. And it's also seen in, in the law, in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 19, verses 35 and 36. And if, if you turn to that as well, because we're going to be looking at that during the sermon. So we'll be looking at uh, Proverbs 11, 1, and Leviticus 19, 35, and 36. So Proverbs 11, 1, hear now the word of the Lord. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Let's pray. Lord, we need your spirit to help us even on one verse, one verse that appears to be pretty straightforward what it's saying, Lord, but uh, we need your spirit uh, to help us to see this verse and, and also to see ourselves and to accurately assess how we how we uh, handle this verse and how we um, whether we or not we can actually do what this verse says. So, Lord, I pray for your spirit to anoint my uh, preaching. I pray for your spirit to open our hearts and open our minds and open our ears to hear from you. And above all, Father, I pray that you are glorified this evening. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first, the first time that I ever read through the Bible, I read it in the uh, NIV version. And so oftentimes there, there are parts of Scripture that I come to, and I just remember them from the first time I read through them in the NIV. And, and this one, um, chapter 11, Proverbs 11, 1, is one of those that I remember from the NIV. So does anyone here have NIV that they're reading? You are, Hannah? <clears throat> Read what, what uh, uh, Proverbs 11, 1 is in the NIV. I know, pressure on you. Okay, the Lord detests dishonest scales. Dishonest scales. So what comes to mind when you think of scales? I, I, what was that? What, what did he say? Dragon. Well, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but yes, scales of dragons. But that's not what I was thinking of. I, I'm not quite as well-read as Nathan on, on some, of these, uh, some of these fantasy books. My, my first come to thought is, is bathroom scales. <laughs> so bathroom scales are not quite the same as dragon scales. I don't own a scale. Well, when, when you're young and you don't gain weight, you don't have to worry about that. You can not have a bathroom scale. But for me, with my bathroom scale, and I don't know if your bathroom scales are the same, you know, if I put it on one section of the floor, it will read something. I move it over two feet, it will be like two pounds less. So I'm wondering if I have dishonest scales. So I'm wondering, why, why is the Lord so concerned with how much I weigh and that I don't, uh, don't gain weight? But that's not what it's talking about. The Lord's not concerned with the accuracy of our bathroom scales. What he's talking about here is scales are, 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 are balances. Balances is a, is, a, is a better translation. 
is what is what was used in trade. If you think about it, say you were going to buy a, a a pound of grain or something, you put it on the scale and then you'd put it on a weight to see how much it was, and that would determine how much you would pay for it. So what they're talking about here in false scales or a false balance is really dishonest. So what people would do is they would shave that weight. Instead of being a pound, it might be nine-tenths of a pound. So they would sell less grain and make more of a profit. So this is talking about dishonesty. It's, it's, it's talking about the importance of, of, of honesty in our dealings. Or, or kind of my tongue-in-cheek uh, title of my sermon. It's talking about the importance of being earnest. And do you all know why I, deter- why I picked that as my uh, title for this sermon? The importance of being earnest? Well, it's, it's a play. It's a play by Oscar Wilde, and it's the play that happens to be what Hannah is doing for her one act in a month. So I figured that would make sense. But it actually, as I was going through it, the importance of being earnest seems to be what this passage, what this verse is saying. So false balances here is really speaking about dishonesty. It's speaking about structural dishonesty. So it's not a mistake due to carelessness, and that would be a sin. Say you, you, you were the one who was in charge of keeping the, the weights for the, for, the, uh, for the trade, and you were just, uh, you were just careless about it. Uh, this is not what it's talking about, because it could be either to your advantage or disadvantage uh, to that. So it's, it's not talking about carelessness in, 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 in your dealings. And it's not even weakness in a moment. Have any of you had a situation where you, you maybe have, you weren't planning on being dishonest, but you, you were put on pressure. Someone, someone came and they asked you something, and, and, and you blanked, and the first thing you did is, is, is you lied. You wanted to look good. Has anyone ever done that, or is that something that, that I just do? Any, anyone? Yeah, some of you can, can, can identify with this. And, and, and here, I'll, I'll give you a confession. This is not something I'm proud of, but when I was training to be a ruling elder back in Blacksburg, we had, um, we had homework that we were given. The pastor would give us homework, and we had to do you know, A, B, and C of, of homework. And so the pastor said, you know, who did their homework? And I was like really quick, I did it all. I did it, and I did, except for I did A and B. I forgot. I didn't realize I had to do C. So the pastor comes up and goes, you did A, B, and C? And, I, and at that point, I panicked because I was just so, so blatant that I had done it, and I didn't want to look like a fool. So I said, well, no, I didn't do it. So I lied. I said, yeah, I did it. And then after I went home, I felt so guilty. I mean, I'm training to be an elder, and I lie about doing my homework. I'm like, I don't even deserve to, be, to, to even be training. So I, I sent an email to the pastor, really apologized. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize. I, I did a, a and B, but I didn't do C, and I'm sorry for misleading you. And he, he said, you know, he said, confession's good for the soul, and, and, uh, and, he, and he, he let it go. But, but it stuck with me. You know, it, I panicked at that moment, and I lied. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about premeditated, planned out, perfectly uh, or purposely seeking an unfair advantage, uh, purposely seeking to deceive someone. And when we look at this, we all recognize that this is wrong. Uh, and I'm sure most of us would say, you know, I, I would never do that. I would never be purposely dishonest like this. And, and we may be tempted to say, you know, that, that proverb doesn't apply to us. John, why are you preaching on us? This is not something that we, we're going to deal with. We're not going to be uh, purposely dishonest. But I say, not so fast. I would say, what about stealing from your employer? And I'm not talking about, you know, stealing a, a computer or if you work for a car, you know, stealing a car. No, I'm talking about stealing time. What if you're paid to do eight hours of work? And I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who's done this, but <clears throat> a Friday afternoon... Come say, you know, two, three in the afternoon. 
You might feel like putting your feet up on the desk. You might kind of get together with the, with the co-workers and just start talking and chatting you know, as you're waiting for 5 o'clock to come around. Any, anyone do that? Am I, I the only one who's done that? I'm probably the only one. Some of you have done that. Okay, I'm glad that I'm not the only one. I remember when I worked in a, in a, in a factory, I worked on second shift, and after all the managers left at about uh, 6 or 7 o'clock at night, that's when the TVs came out. That's when pretty much the, 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 the machines were put on idle, and there was very little work that was done, even, even from the engineering staff that was, that was on, on call there. So sometimes we steal from our employers. I know I had. What about stealing from the government? What about in our taxes? You know, if you get a W-2, it's kind of hard to, to, to lie on that. But what if you get something to get paid on the side? You, know, you, get, uh, um, you, know, you get paid in cash. Do you always report that? It's not, the government doesn't need to know about that. I pay too much taxes as it is. This is going to waste my, uh, my money. But that's stealing from the government. What about misleading? <clears throat> misleading narratives. Right? Have you, have you ever, you're maybe not lying, but you, you're telling the story in a certain way that makes you look good. And maybe the other person doesn't look so bad. You may leave some details out that, would, that, would, that makes the other person's side seem, seem true. You're misleading. How about intentionally misleading? It's not, you don't say anything wrong, but the way you say it or what you leave out gives a complete uh, misunderstanding. Let, let me give you a story. I'm not going to say where I heard this. I heard this somewhere. It was, a, it was a, a parent talking to their child and asked the child, said, did you brush your teeth? And the child says, yes. And the parent says, today. And the, par- and the child leaves and goes to brush their teeth. Right? I'm not saying who would do that. Not, not anyone that I would know. But, uh, but that might happen once in a while. But again, that is intentionally misleading. We see it in, in news, fake news. I mean, you, you look at the... You look at the, the you watch television or you, or you read the, the paper. It used to be that news was objective. They would tell you the facts of what happened. Now you see there's always a spin. And it could be a spin from the left or a spin from the right. There's a spin on the news. It's not telling you just the facts. It's telling you the interpretation. It's, it's making a value judgment on it. Again, this is lying. We see it in marketing. Sometimes we, we don't believe advertisement, but there's things that they'll say, advertisers will say, that are blatantly untrue. We see it in, in, in politics, and we've got to the point where we don't even believe politicians. You know, it, it's, it's saying, how can you tell if a politician is lying? His lips are moving. I mean, that's kind of how we believe it, and, and we just are okay with that. It comes in pseudoscience. It comes in propaganda. It comes in saying, well, I, I won't tell the truth, but, but my, I have good motives, so, so the ends justify the means. And we all do this. We have it in exaggeration. It comes in padding our resumes. All of us do these types of things. So it's, it's not quite as clear-cut when we look at it and say, that applies to someone else. I think this applies to all of us. See, our society is filled with misinformation. And information that, that is intentionally to mislead. It, it, it's, it's meant to mislead. It's meant to promote an agenda. And the sad thing is, Christians, we are just as guilty as anyone else. We're all guilty to some extent. We all do this. Everyone, at some time or another, we have had this false balances that this verse is speaking of. Now the question is, what is the Lord's view of this? What is the Lord's view of this stealing from our employer time, uh, exaggerating, um, intentionally misleading? Well, we don't have to guess. The text tells us. The text says that this is an abomination. Now, abomination, this is not a good thing. This is strong language. I actually looked up what abomination meant. Just to make sure I got it, I looked up the definition. It says something that causes extreme disgust or hatred. Just think about that. When we do these things that we all do, it causes extreme dis- disgust 
and hatred from the Lord. Uh, some some uh, synonyms given for this. Cursed, anathema. Think about that. When we're lying, things that we all do, this is anathema. It means it's cursed. Scripture uses the same word, abomination, to describe pagan idolatry. Uh, the wicked pagan uh, uh, practices that are, uh, oppose God, such as uh, uh, sexual immorality or witchcraft or, or wicked exploitation of the, uh, of the weak. This is what's seen as an abomination. And really, people who act this way have nothing to do with God. This has nothing to do with God. God hates these things. And notice that this is not just an abomination uh, in, in a person's view or even a culture's view. I mean, there are things that, that our culture will call an abomination now. There are actually things the Lord commands. So, so there's an appeal. Uh, you might have, you know, you might be working for a boss, and, and the boss is telling you to do things dishonest, but the boss's boss, if they knew, the corporate knew, they would, they would have the exact opposite. You can appeal to them. But this is talking about the Lord. There is no appeal from the Lord. It's an abomination from the, the sovereign of the universe. <clears throat> and what this is talking about, is it, this is really ultimate reality. There's, there's no way we can spin. There's no way we can con the Lord. We, we can't use our... We, you know, the Lord knows all things. We can't, we can't manipulate him. We can't, uh, we can't use excuses. We can't use this type of dishonesty and misinformation that's so blatant, so common. And, and it's so, so common even among confessing Christians. And, and really, it should sicken us as Christians when we see people who profess to be Christians promoting things that they know are untrue. Promoting conspiracy theories or, or, or things that, that there, there's no basis in reality, but saying that they're, they're believers and saying that they're doing it and, and showing really no fear of the God whom they claim to serve as they're promoting these lies. So the Lord calls this misinformation an abomination. It, it, it's, you, it, it's a curse. It, it means that they'll be separated from God forever. And do we realize really how out of step we are when we, when we treat the, the, the truth so casually? how out of step we are with the, with the Lord's standard? And why is this so? Why, why does the Lord react so strongly against something that we seem so common, so common in our society, so common even among Christians? Well, for this, I want us to look at this, um, this parable, uh, parallel verse in, in God's law. So if you take a look at the Leviticus passage I asked you to turn to, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 35 through 37. So Leviticus says, you shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length or weight or quantity. So these are the standards that we use to measure things in business. You shall have just balances, like we looked at in the Proverbs. Just weights, a just ephah, and a just hen. Ephah and hen, those are, those are units of, of volume, like a quart or a gallon for us. And here's the reason he gives. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. You see, the reason is, I am the Lord. He says, this is, this is my character. I am telling you these because this is the way I am. And you are to act according to my character. We are to act according to the Lord's character. See, as human beings, we are all made in God's image. And we are to act in accordance with that image. And God is a God of truth. Truth is sacred. Have you ever thought about that? Truth is sacred. Truth is not something that is to be used to manipulate for our own purposes. As image bearers, we are obligated. Think about that. Every single person, we are obligated to act in accordance with the character of Christ, the character of whose image we have. But the problem is we don't. We don't do this. 
And the reality is we don't treat truth as sacred. We distort truth. We treat truth as relative, uh, as something that we can manipulate to fit our purposes, to promote our agenda. And this is opposed to God. This is, this is an abomination. And even Christians do this. And like most verses in Proverbs, it gives us a contrast. So let's take a look at the contrast. We just looked at the first part. It says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. A just weight is his delight. In other words, just as the Lord hates dishonesty, the Lord loves honesty. He delights in honesty. And here's the question. Who is the one he delights in? Who is the one who is perfectly honest? Who is the one upon whom there is no uh, deceit found on his lips? Well, it's not me. I would probably guess it's probably not any of you. It's really not anyone that we've met. The truth is there's only one. There is only one. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Only one who has found no deceit on his lips. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. He never misled. He never gave misinformation. He never dealt with anyone unfairly. He never took advantage of anyone. Everything that he did was perfectly honest, perfectly just, perfectly truthful. As a matter of fact, Jesus is truth personified. I, I, I think it's funny when, when Pilate was, when Jesus was before Pilate, and Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? Pilate is looking at truth. He is looking at truth himself in Jesus Christ. So where we're in abomination to the Lord, it's Jesus and Jesus alone who is his delight. Now, thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Thankfully, we have this verse. And this is a verse that every Christian should have memorized. 2 Corinthians 5.21. How, how many of you have it memorized? Anyone here? Anyone know what 2 Corinthians 5.21? Ah, but I got one there, Renee. She, she's awesome. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel, my friends. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The one who knew no sin, that's Jesus. Jesus. And God credited to Jesus, credited to Jesus these false balances. To him, <clears throat> the the the. Stealing from our employer, stealing from the government, the saying we brushed our teeth but we didn't brush our teeth. All of that stuff has been credited to Jesus. All that stuff that, that God calls an abomination was credited to Jesus. And Jesus was saw as an abomination, although he himself, he himself was still perfectly holy, perfectly the delight to God. And because of Jesus, and because we are united to Jesus in him, we are seen as that delight. The delight that Jesus, he sees us even when we are falling short on all these things. He sees us as that delight. And this is the, this is the gospel. This is the beauty of what we, what we proclaim, what, why we come and worship every week. You see, when by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, our abomination is then transformed into the delight of Jesus alone. And because of Jesus, and because of this transformation, there is no punishment. There is now no condemnation. For us, we are secure and we are loved and, and we truly are the delight of God. Just think about it. We are his delight. Just as he is delighted in Jesus, he is delighted in us. But the truth of this transaction, and this is very important for us to understand as Christians, it doesn't just change our status, right? It doesn't, we, we do go from, from being guilty to not guilty. It not only does that, but it changes our whole disposition. It changes our desires. It changes our minds. It changes from being self-centered to being God-centered. See, naturally what we want to do is we want to make ourselves look good. We want to promote our agenda. We want to promote ourselves. 
But what it changes now, when we become, when we become like Christ, when that, when that change, the gospel happens, we want to promote Christ. We want to think like Christ. And that's really what it is. What we want to do is we want to think like Christ. Now, now the thing is, it's not perfectly. It's not perfect. We, we still fall many times. We fall into this, this old thinking. But little by little, we think more and more like God. And what this means is, is when we are converted, when we are a true believer, we agree with this verse. Even though we can't keep it, we agree with this verse. We agree that false balances are an abomination. And we seek to be honest. And we, we value the truth. We see the truth is sacred. We don't try to gain, and this is important, we're not doing this to gain God's favor. It's not, we're not talking about legalism. We're not doing this because, we're not doing this in order to be saved. We're doing it because we are saved. We're doing this because we have already found favor with God, and our thinking is different. So by faith, we trust that God will provide for us. A lot of times why we, why we lie is for fear. You know, I have fear that I'm going to be thought, when I, when I lied to, to my pastor, I, I had fear that he was going to think less of me. Uh, we have fear, we have unjust weights because we're afraid that we're, we're not going to make enough money. We need, we need to take care of ourselves. We don't trust the Lord. We don't trust that the, that the truth will, will, to trust in the truth. We don't trust that the truth will set us free. And the truth is Jesus. We don't need to fear. We don't need to manipulate. We love the truth. We love him. We trust Jesus and his sovereignty and his protection. But even more than this, even more than trusting that he'll take care of us, the thing we seek even more is his delight. We care more for his delight than for what he can provide for us. So even if the truth and even if being honest, even if having just weight, even if this is going to be costly to us, even if others will seek to take advantage of us, and some will, by having their own, uh, dishonest and false balances. And oftentimes we, we lie to kind of contradict the people who are lying about us. And even when that happens, even by the world standards, we lose. Even if by the world standards, we are hurt. Even if we are killed, you know, we don't care. We don't care. Because our goal is not ourselves. Our goal is Him. Our goal is His delight. His delight is more valuable to us than all the treasures in the world. And can you really say, can, can you say that? His delight is more value to us than life itself. And here's the paradox. Here's the paradox. By having his delight, when we have his delight, we have everything thrown in. Everything thrown in. Even if we give up our life for Christ, we have eternal life, which can never be taken away from us. Even if we lose everything from an earthly standard, we have an inheritance in heaven. We are inherit with Christ, joint heirs with Christ of all existence. That can never be taken away from us. But my friends, we still fail to live up to God's standards. We still have times when we, we suffer this, this temporary amnesia. We forget who we are, and we fall back to our old ways. And we fall back to our old ways because of, of greed and because of, of fear. And what we do is we act like unbelievers. We act like unbelievers. I remember when I was in college, many of you know I was on the rowing team, and I was, I was a strong rower, but I had terrible technique. And the coaches really worked with me to get this technique down. And I remember in practice, I got, I got really better, so I was able to, to, to make the team. But when I was under pressure, when I was under pressure, in, in the middle of a race and things were going, I would start to revert. I would start to revert back to my bad technique. And unfortunately, this happens to so many of us. When under the pressure, we revert to being our old ways. We revert to, to acting like unbelievers. And that's what happens. 
See, as Christians, we are people of the truth. We're underhanded dealings, manipulation. All of this should never even be named among us. We must resist falling back into this old way, this old way of thinking. Because the reality is we are new creations in Christ. And we must think and must act in accordance with this new reality. We are to think like Christ. We are are to emulate him. Again, we do this not to become Christian. We do this because we are Christian. So what's the application? There's a a specific application. I want to tie it into what we heard Brett talk this morning about going out in mission. And my my sermon last week when we talked about the Holy Spirit-inspired witness. And here's here's our application. Living like this, living as a Christian, living this way that, that's radically different in our culture, and particularly with respect to truth, because our culture seems to have no concern for truth. Being honest in our dealings with others, not manipulating the truth for our own gain, treat, not treating the, the truth as, as something that we can use or something that's relative, but something that is sacred. Living like this will itself be a witness. Living like this will get the attention of others. And my question for us to consider, each of us to consider now, Do we live this way? Do we live this way? Do people notice something about us? Do they notice something that's different about us? Do we emulate our Savior? Are we people of the truth? Do we we recognize the importance of being earnest in our dealings with others? Do, Do people notice this difference in us? And if they do, and here's a really important point, here's a really dangerous temptation, because Many people will. They will, they will notice something different from us. <clears throat> and here's a temptation. It's, it's a natural temptation for us. And, it, and this temptation is we let them to think that this difference comes from us. It originates in us. This difference is inherent in us. It's all about us. We, we let them think that, man, you're a person of integrity. How did you get to be like that? We let them think that, wow, this, this, this honesty that you have is amazing. And we let them think it originates in us. And if we do this, my friends, if we do this, this is the biggest lie we could ever tell. It's the biggest false balance that we can have. This is, this is the, the worst abomination that we can do. And, and this will, will be of no use to the people that we're witnessing to. Because they'll admire us, they'll look up to us, or they'll say, well, I can never be like that, or I really want to aspire to be like that, and they'll completely miss the point. But even worse than that, if we take, if we let them think that this, this Holy Spirit produced difference in us that they see, if we let them think that it's inherent in us, we are stealing God's glory. We are taking God's glory for ourselves. And this is something the Lord will not tolerate. So that this truth that we, that we have, that this difference that we have, this should be noticed. We should be seen as different. But we are never, we are never, ever, ever to let that difference point to us, to bring us glory. We must always point to Christ and say, nothing in me, nothing, it's because of him. We must always declare that Christ and Christ alone is the reason for this change in us. And here's the really hopeful thing, and this is the thing we have to, to offer to the unbeliever. Because we can say, you may be impressed with who I am and what I am, but you can have the same thing. The same Christ can help you and can make you and can make that change. And that's the hope. That's really the only thing we have to give. We don't want them to try to be like us. We, that's fight. That, that's a lie in itself. We want them to come to Christ and see that Christ, if they have Christ, they can have the same joy. They can have the same peace. They can have the same supernaturally transformed lives. That could be theirs. That's what we have to offer. My friends, this is our testimony. This is our just weights. This is his delight. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we do admit, we admit that we so often fall far short, fall far short of what you've called us to be. And I pray for each one of us here, Lord. I pray that you will give us that supernatural ability, ability to live, to, to remember what we're called, not to fall back into our old ways, not to be like I was when I was rowing and, and, and fall back to the to bad form, but stay true to who we are. And when we do, Lord, when people notice that, we give you all the glory. We point to you. And that is an encouragement to them. And they see that they themselves can also have that. And that's the purpose. Well, that's the reason why you give us to us, so that others can see and others can come to you. And above all, you will be glorified. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.